As we lead into the message this morning, um, how, I don't know how many of you were here last week and heard Pastor Jack, but he just did a phenomenal job, didn't he? I mean, just an incredible job. If you weren't able to be here, maybe you were in Dominican Republic, uh, Jim, um, but uh, if you weren't able to be here, I encourage you, go to summitmain.org and listen to that message. It was phenomenal, and, uh, and I'm excited. I was kind of sitting there last week, though, thinking, oh no, he's going to kind of take uh, the, the theme from this message as he got started, because if you remember, December 31st, you lay out your workout clothes, you set your alarm a little bit earlier for January 1st, and you're going to get up, you're going to start working out, you're going to start exercising, you're going to start you know, getting in shape and all those things. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3 when he talks about running your race. How many of you, let's, let's just by show of hands, by show of hands, how many of you have ever run a race? Okay, some of you, all right, man, a lot of hands running a race. I'm getting ready for a race right now, a half marathon that I'm running on my birthday. What better thing to do on my birthday than to run a half marathon? No, there's a real particular reason I'm running it. But I started running races about 10 years ago, um, before our first daughter was born, who turned 10 today. So if you see me depressed or sucking my thumb in a corner, that's why. Um, how do you sign sucking your thumb? Okay, very good. Okay, good. All right. This is going to be awesome. Okay. Um, but, uh, but, but, but that's why. But about 10 years ago, um, I, I realized that I wasn't healthy anymore. I stopped playing basketball in college and realized I wasn't uh, healthy anymore. And the doctor said, the only way you're going to you know, get healthy again is if you um, get in shape and do some exercise. And so I had some people around me that were running, which just sounded terrible to me, um, but I just, they convinced me to do this couch to 5K program. Anybody ever seen the couch to 5K? We're actually going to have, I see that hand, we're actually going to start a couch to 5K summer small group or some version of couch to 5K, which is going to be fun. But I started that, I ran my first 5K, and I've run a lot of different races since then, but, but there's some excitement when you run a race, right? I mean, the night before, you get to eat as much pasta as you want. Right, which is just really exciting, and then and then you know you 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 got to have the right shoes, you got to have the right you know. For me, I have a racing shirt that I like to wear, and it's and it's just for racing. I don't wear it for training. I just wear it to race, and and so there's some excitement around running races. But have you ever entered a race with the thought, "I want to lose"? I mean, don't don't raise your hand, but I want to lose. I want to lose, right? Now, 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 I recognize I've entered some races like this one I'm going to do in, in a month and a half or so. I know, I know that there's about a 110% chance I'm not going to win this race, right? I'm not going to win this race. But I'm racing against myself. I have a time that I want to beat that if I don't make it, it's going to be a bad day. It's going to be, it's going to be a bad birthday, right? But, but we don't enter races to, to lose. I did a triathlon one time. It was the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last triathlon. And, um, and, and I remember getting there, and I had one goal. One goal. Don't be last. Don't be last. Finish, preferably alive, and don't be last, right? And, and so, you know, if you know a triathlon, you swim, you bike, you run. And so I get there to the YMCA up at Freeport, 
and um, and I'm, I'm getting ready for the race, and I'm, I'm kind of nervous, and, and, and uh, they're doing the announcements right before we jump in the pool, and they, they introduced this guy, and they said, this is the one that's designated last finisher. And I got so excited, y'all, because I thought, there's no way I'm going to finish last. This guy's going to, so that's perfect, you know, and did my triathlon, finished, and uh, wasn't last. Paul talks about running a race. Up until this point, he's talked about in the book of Philippians that we've been studying, he's talked about following these examples. He's talked about following these examples. And he said two weeks ago when we talked about the first part of chapter 3, you know, he's giving them some final instructions. He's talking about this fellowship with Jesus, this righteousness that he's calling us to, and that's essentially the race that we're running. Have you ever seen the show Amazing Race? Have you ever seen the show Amazing Race? These teams of two people, they get together and they take a month, you know, out of their lives and they go and they just race from country to country, from thing to thing. And Kristen and I have talked about it. We're like, man, we would be an awesome team on the Amazing Race until you have to jump off of that tall building. Neither one of us are doing that. So that would be the week that we lose and come home, right? But, you know, you race for a million dollars and, and, and all of that, and you don't, you don't start that race thinking, oh, I'm just going to go for a couple weeks and see some different things. You start the amazing race to win a million dollars, right? To win a million dollars. And, uh, and so Paul is talking about the similar thing. Why are we running this race? Why do we run this race of life? And I thought Pastor Jack last week did a great job of talking about the race of life. Right? See, we think that when we're running this race of life, that we ought to always consistently have this steady incline. That our race just looks like this. Right? Like that guy on The Price is Right in that game that just climbs that ladder. You guys know, you know what I'm talking about? Mary Lou nodded her head immediately. You know? But he just climbs that ladder, you know, right? And then he falls. You know, a lot of us think it should be like that. But the reality of that is that that's just not true. That our lives look we climb, we fall, we climb, we come down, we climb, we come down, you know. And some of us, I thought Pastor Jack did a great job of illustrating, we get, we get to a certain point. We're like, okay, this feels good. This feels comfortable. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here. And I think many of us fall into that category one point or another in our life. But let's see what Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 12 about running the race. He says, not that I've already obtained it, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it 
we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And so as we're talking about the race that we're running in life, our life race, I think there's five things that Paul points out here in these verses that are essential to running our race. That are essential to running our race. And the first is this, a dissatisfaction. A dissatisfaction. Progress comes when we don't settle for where we are now. Progress comes when we don't settle for where we are now. And we see two types of people in this camp, in this dissatisfaction camp. The first type is, the, is those, is those um, that people that make excuses. Right? They make excuses. And chances are some of us have probably come across some of those people. Maybe we've been this person before. I'm not going to start that because I'll never be as good as you are. Or I can't keep doing this because I'll never be, you know, it'd be like me trying to, trying to sing and play guitar. Right? I'm never going to pick that up because we've got a Dylan. Right? We have a Dylan. And so why would I try to sing and play guitar? I'm never going to be as good as Dylan at singing and playing guitar or playing piano like Jeff. I'm just not going to start those things. Right? Because I'll just never be as good as they will. Or the opposite end of the spectrum where we sit and we say, you know what? I am the best. I'm the best guitar player at Summit Church. Right? I'm the best piano player at Summit Church. Right, Lois? Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm the best. And so nobody can, can, can beat me. And there's two types of people here, but the reality is that both of those are dangerous. Both of those places are dangerous. You know what? I'm not even going to try this. I'm not even going to try to teach that Sunday school class or lead that small group because I'll never be as good as this person. Or I'm not going to you know, do anything different because I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the best. I'm the best. I've arrived and both are dangerous. Both are dangerous. Many of us become self-satisfied because of who we compare ourselves to. Many of us become self-satisfied because of who we compare ourselves to. Like, think about it this way. Um, I used to play basketball. And, and when it comes to basketball, um, if I want to feel really good about myself and feel like I still have it, then I go out in the driveway and I play with the kiddos. Because I can dunk on an eight-year-old. I mean, you should see Ezra, who's almost three, try to guard me. Like, he doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance. So I'll be out there in the driveway and think, man, I've still got this. I can still play. You know? I, still, I can still keep up with this, with this game, right? And, and, yet, and yet, then you put me on the, on, on the court with like, let's say, Michael Jordan. No, I'm good. <laughs> you know? I should probably uh, stick to preaching. Um, but what has Paul done up until this point? He's given these examples. Jesus, you know, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And he's saying, as you run your race, follow these examples. Right? Follow these examples. Right? I mean, you think about, and I'm not saying that, that Michael Jordan is, is Jesus. Okay? But you think about, if we're, if we're talking about in basketball terms, right? You got Michael Jordan, you know, you got Magic Johnson and all those guys. And then you got like LeBron James, who's just not, he's, 
average, right? And so, um, and so you, just, you just have these different examples, right, that you, that, you, that you follow when it comes to those things. And that's what Paul's talking about here, running the race of life, you know? Jesus, follow the model of Jesus. Follow my example as Paul. Follow the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus because we become self-satisfied because of who we compare ourselves to because if we compare ourselves to each other, oh, well, I'm not so bad. So maybe I can stay right here. I'm not so bad, you know, or you know what? I'm not as bad as that person. So I must be way, way up here. I must have this. I must be good at this. And we become self-satisfied because of who we compare ourselves to. I was reading about this this past week. Did you know that all new inventions came from not being satisfied? All new conventions came, all new inventions came from not being satisfied. We dirty up too many knives, and so now we've got squeezable jelly. Right? Squeezable jelly. You know, and now we've got peanut butter and jelly all in one squeeze bottle, right? So it just takes the guessing game completely out of the picture. All new inventions come from not being satisfied. And so my question for us this morning when it comes to dissatisfaction is what do we need to invent in our life right now? Where are we dissatisfied in our life right now? And what is something that we need to invent? We need a healthy sense of I haven't arrived in anything yet. We need a, dis, a divine dissatisfaction which is essential for spiritual growth dissatisfaction. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on, showing us that he hasn't arrived at anything. There's a dissatisfaction in his life. Secondly, he talks about concentration. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing, one thing, everybody say one, one thing I do. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what's the race we're running? What's the strategy for this race? What's the, what, why, why are we doing this race? How are we running this race? See, see, winners are winners because they concentrate on the one thing and they let nothing distract them. They narrow their focus. I want you to check this video clip out real quick. Now everybody knows who that was, right? Amen? Okay, very good. Who knew Rocky Balboa was a... I could listen to him talk, man. I'm telling you. We might need a whole different type of interpreting for Rocky Balboa, but did you catch what he said there? He He brought Donnie up to the mirror and he said, this is the toughest opponent you'll ever face. I believe that in boxing, and I believe that in life. I believe that in boxing, and I believe that in life. And he goes on, and he, t- and he, says, he says, you know, when, he, when, when you throw a punch, what's he doing? He's throwing one right back, so you've got you to gotta slip it. You've got to go. But, but, but he says, when you get in the ring, this is the toughest opponent, right? When, you, when, you, when you're going about things, this is your toughest opponent. And so for us, when we think about concentration... When we think about concentration, we've got to narrow our focus. What is the thing that gets us off the race that we're running? 
I mean, I mean, Paul talks about it here towards the bottom. He says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears in verse 18, while his enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They got off the race. They got out of the track. There was a college professor one time that was teaching a bunch of business students about time management and productivity. And he took a, he took a big glass jar and he took some big rocks, he took some small rocks, and he took, he took a pitcher of sand. And he started with the big rocks and he said, he said to his class, he said, can I fit all these big rocks into the jar? And everybody said, yes, yes, you know, of course. And so he took the big rocks, he took them all, he put them into this big, into this big jar and, and they all fit, they all fit. Then he said, can we fit these small little pebbles into this big jar? And they said, ah, yeah, probably. Some of them will go. So he took the, took the jar of, of little pebbles. He, turned it, he poured it into the big jar. They all fit. They all fit. And he took the sand. He said, do you think the sand will fit? Everybody said, no, it's going to overflow. It's, there's no way the sand will fit. The, the little pebbles took all of the open gaps. There's nowhere, there's nowhere for the sand to go. But guess what? As he poured it, the sand found places to land all within that jar. And guess what? It all fit. It all fit. And so then he said, what would have happened if we just started with the sand? What would have happened if we'd have gone from the sand to the little pebbles? We would have had no room for the big rocks. He said, if you don't start with the big rocks, they'll never fit. The problem with us in our race, we don't even know what those big rocks are. We're trying to fit all the little pebbles. We're trying to fit all the sand. We're trying to fit, we're trying to fit all these big rocks over here. We're trying to, we're trying to fit them all in, into our lives. We're trying to fit them all into our race. We're trying to fit them all into this, this thing that we call life and 24 hours and, and all this different stuff. And, and, and guess what? Some of the biggest rocks get left out to the side because they can't fit. And so part of running our race is concentrating on what are the big rocks. What are the big rocks? What are the big rocks in your life that are sitting out on the side of the table because they don't have any room? They don't have any space. And if we don't start with the big rocks, they'll never fit. So we've got dissatisfaction. We've got concentration. And then number three, we've got direction. Direction. Paul says in in, in verse 13, he says, straining forward, I press... Uh, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Straining which direction? Forward. A long obedience <coughs> in the same and right direction. What Paul's saying here is don't live in your past. Like, have you ever tried to, have you ever tried to run? Have you ever tried to go for a run or go for a jog and just look behind you the whole time? Anybody? No, we wouldn't do that. Have you really? Did you try to do that once? Bless your heart. Okay. Right? Or, or some of us, right, we, we, we'll walk along and we'll, we'll try to look. No, or, or now, right, we're, we're walking and, 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 and texting. 
all dangerous things, right? But we wouldn't start, we wouldn't run on the road. We wouldn't, we wouldn't go out for a run together and just, just spend the whole time looking behind us. That's dangerous. That's not smart. We'll go not smart. How's that? Not smart. That's probably more correct. Not smart. But yet so many people, so many people, God is drawing them to Himself. And they can't even see God because they're just looking at how unworthy they are based on their past. And their shame. And their guilt. And yet God is right there saying, hey, let me dust you off. Keep running. Keep coming to me. Keep pressing in to me. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. We break the power of our past by living for the future. And then number four, dedication. I press on. I exert myself. I exert myself. I exert myself. What's interesting here is in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 3, he says, as to zeal, as to zeal, um, which, which when he said that, he was referencing how he persecuted the church. He's using the same word here. Okay, so the same word that he used to express how he persecuted the church is now the same word that he's using to express how he's straining forward. He's pressing on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. Which is interesting because what that means is that the same energy he used to persecute the church, he now uses to follow Jesus. No athlete wins championships listening to game plans or watching YouTube videos. At some point, we have to get out on the track and train and exert and press on. And, 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 the, and the question here is, I wonder if our lives would be different. In fact, I believe with all my heart that our lives would be different if we put as much effort into our Christian life, into our relationship with Jesus, as we do shopping, as we do social media, as we do movies, maybe golfing, that one hurts, etc. But when it comes to dedication, when it comes to this point, there's two extremes that we have to avoid. The first one is this, I must do it all. You ever, you ever met someone like that? I must do it all. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I've got to do it all. All. And then the other extreme we've got to avoid is God must do it all. God must do it all, right? Which sounds a little interesting, but, 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 but the reality is that God wants to bring us to a point, right? And then He wants to use us. He wants to work in us and through us to accomplish the good work that He's doing. What's the prize? He says, I press on toward the prize. The prize is knowing our life's purpose. There's two, greatest, there's two greatest days in our lives. Number one, the day you were born. Number two, the day you discover what you were born for. That's one prize, right? Knowing our life's purpose. The second prize is knowing eternal joy, the upward call of Christ Jesus. Eternity in heaven. Eternity in worship. And so, a dissatisfaction, a concentration, direction, where are we running? 
dedication, and then lastly, collaboration. Collaboration. That's when he comes to us. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Us. Collaboration. If you've ever run, you know this, that runners do better with other runners. Uh, Two summers ago, I did a summer small group. It was a running group. One night we met out on the track, and Zan over here, who's one of our elders, he was part of that running group. He enjoys running. I tolerate running. He enjoys running. And, um, and, and I looked at Zan, and I said, okay, we're going to run a mile. Let's try to do it in under eight minutes. And I think we got it done in like seven minutes and 57 seconds. We were, we were cutting it close. We were cutting it close. And as I was preparing for this week and thinking back to that night two summers ago, I thought to myself, you know, because I, I, obviously Zan probably doesn't even remember that, but I was so proud of myself for getting an under eight-minute mile. He's probably like, yeah, that's child's play. Um, but as I was thinking back to that, I thought to myself, you know what? I would have never made it under eight minutes if Zan would have been right there. I would have never made it in under eight minutes if Zan hadn't have been right there. So that just means you've got to come run this half marathon with me in June because I need you. But we do better with others. And some of you may be sitting right here and you may think back to a big storm in your life and you said, you know what? I never would have made it without that person in my life. I never would have made it without that person praying with me. Without that person praying, I never would have made it. See, some people have said that sports create the biggest and greatest muscles ever. And that's why we have the greatest eyes in the world. Isn't that interesting? Some of us need to encourage each other to get off the bench. to start running our race, to start pressing on. 1983, an ultra marathon happened, something that this guy will never do. 543.7 miles. Can you imagine that? 543.7 miles. It's a race. It's an ultra marathon. It's in Australia, from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne. And in 1983, a 61-year-old potato farmer named Cliff Young signed up to do it. It was, not, it was not common for common people to do the ultramarathon. It was more for elite runners and people that made this their profession. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It's a big deal. And so 61-year-old potato farmer Cliff Young finished the ultramarathon, 543.7 miles in five days, 15 hours and 4 minutes as the winner of the 1983 Ultra Marathon. The closest runner was 10 hours behind him. And as Cliff Young ran it, uh, as the story goes, he just kind of did this shuffle. You know, just like this right here. Moving his body as little as he could, just shuffling along the road for 543 miles 543.7 miles, the closest finisher 10 hours behind him. Because Cliff had no prior 
training, he didn't know that to condition these elite runners would run for 18 hours and then sleep for six. He didn't know that 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 was kind of what you did. You run for 18 hours and you sleep for six. So Cliff just ran straight without stopping for five days, 15 hours, and four minutes on his way to becoming a national hero as an American finishing the ultra marathon. Victory comes from endurance. This, this, this walk of faith, this thing that we do, the, the reason we gather isn't a hundred yard dash. It's not a, mar- it's not a, it's not a sprint of, of, oh, well, that felt good today. I wonder what next week will be like. That's not this race. That's not this life. It's a, it's a marathon. It's, a, it's an ultra marathon where we, we, where we, like Nemo, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And victory in this race comes from endurance. I want to read the end of this passage with you one more time before we walk into communion. Paul says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Where are your eyes in your race? What are your eyes set on in your race? Are they looking behind you? Are they looking to the left and the right playing the comparison game? Or are they looking straight on to the prize? Where are your eyes? He said, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Get this. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What's your mind set on? What's your mind set on? Is your mind set on the glory of God and the worship of Him forever? Is your mind set on these earthly things? Temporary satisfaction. Temporary pleasure. Your eyes, your mind. And then look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We're not citizens of this place. There's a greater calling for us. So where's your dissatisfaction? What are you concentrated on? This one thing I do. What direction are you going in? Straining forward. How's your dedication? I press on. And who are you running with? Who are you running with? Who are you running with? As we share in communion this morning, I wondered, man, you know, how... How does what Paul is talking about this morning kind of fit in with communion? Because when you think about communion, you think, you know, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, and he takes the bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. 
Right? And then he takes the, the cup and he says, This is my blood, which is spilt for you. And I think, I think when it comes down to it, not that I've already obtained it, but one thing I do, I press on. There are limits that we have in the race that God has us on that we can't reach without Him. That we can't reach without Him. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to that are exactly in the place that we talked about in the sermon where they're running, they're running, and God is right there, and they're drawing them into Himself, but yet they're looking behind. And it's like that song, Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away our sins? What can wash us pure as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So this morning as we pass out the bread, we're going to pass out the bread, you're going to hold it, then we're going to take the bread together, and then we're going to take a moment, we're going to pass out the the cup, and you can hold the cup, and then we'll take the cup together. As you're thinking about these elements this morning, I want you to think, this is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the fuel for me to run the race that is set before me. He is the bread of life. And then, as you get the cup, as you get the cup, I want you to think, nothing, nothing, say it with me, nothing, nothing, nothing can satisfy me. Nothing can wash me. Nothing is as powerful, nothing is as great as the blood of Jesus that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me to wash me white as snow and to run this race of life for Him and with Him forever.